Good morning. Good morning. Happy Sunday. I love that last song. Actually, I love all three of the songs. I love the last song because I love the language that is used, that the Father bankrupted heaven to save. And in the middle of that song, I felt like Holy Spirit was like, do you realize that the Father is still spending today? And it had never occurred to me. I'd never considered it. The same the same price tag that he puts on Jesus, he has put on you and I. He's still spending. The full measure of the worth on your head, though, depends on the fullness of the yes that you respond to him, yes, respond to him with. Isn't that awesome? Great. Now, there's not very many of you in here today, so you're going to have to work with me. What? Thank you. Thank you. All right. We are in the second week of Out of Zion, and today we're going to talk about the Lamb of God. But we should pray first. Oh, Father. There's so much that I could say. And yet, I don't even know where to begin. Over and over, I just want to say, look at what you've done. Look at what you've done. You accomplished a complete rescue mission. Purchasing for yourself, for your son, a beautiful bride. You gave it all. And we thank you for that. And we love being here in your presence. Surrounded by your company. And space is created by your hand. And I just ask that you would continue to be with us as we move throughout this teaching. Father, as we ascribe worth to your name. And we make much of who you are. Amen. All right. We are going to start in Revelation uh, just chapter one. So turn with me to Revelation one. Where are we going? Very good. Waiting on you. Revelation one five. Is everything okay? Are we good? Huh? Yes. All right, Revelation 1, starting in verse 5. We're going to look at two different spots, two different descriptions of who Jesus is 
in the book of Revelation, and then we will move on. Verse 5. Goodness gracious. No, we're going to start in 4. From John to the seven churches in western Turkey, may the kindness of God's grace and peace overflow to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are in front of his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruling king who rules over the kings of the earth. Now to the one who constantly loves us and has loosed us from our sins by his own blood, and to the one who has made us to rule as a kingly priesthood, to serve his God and Father, To him be glory and dominion throughout the eternity of eternities. Amen. Don't you love that? That it said that that one sentence that it says, and he loosed us from our sins. How many of you have believed that Jesus just cleansed you from your sins? (laughs) It's not the full truth. It's not the whole story. He didn't just cleanse you from your sins. He has loosed you from your sins. You're no longer a a joint deal. You and your sins forever separated. If you read the Old Testament alone, it'll tell you that you've been cleansed. But when you read Jesus, it tells you you've been separated from. Now, that was not the point of reading this, but I got excited. Now to the one who constantly, I read that, we're in seven. Behold, He appears within the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the people groups of the earth will weep with sorrow because of him. And so it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, am your brother and companion in tribulation. The kingdom and the patience that are found in Jesus— I was exiled on the island of Patmos because of the ministry of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit realm on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice sounding like a trumpet saying to me, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira and Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. When I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And walking among the lampstands, I saw someone like a son of man wearing a full-length robe and a golden sash over his chest. Do you see it? Don't just listen to me. See it? Can you see it? Okay. His head and his hair were white like wool. White as glistening snow. Are you imagining it? And his eyes like flames of fire. His feet were gleaming like bright metal, as though they were glowing in a fire. And his voice was like the roar of many rushing waters. Wow. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. And his face 
was shining like the brightness of the blinding sun. When I saw him, I fell down at his feet as good as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, and I heard his reassuring voice saying, Do not yield to fear. I am the beginning and the end, the living one. I was dead, but now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys that unlock death and the unseen world. Now I want you to write what you have seen, what is and what will be after the things that I reveal to you. The mystery of the lampstands and the seven stars is this. The seven lampstands and the seven churches are the seven stars in my right hand are the seven messengers of the seven churches. So that description of who Jesus is, wow, right? His, his feet like bronze, like fresh out of the fire, eyes that are fire, hair that is as white, as pure as snow, and his countenance blinding with glory. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about Jesus. Okay. Now jump over to chapter five. Okay. We're going to start in um, verse one. And I saw that the one seated on the throne was holding in his right hand an unopened scroll with writing on the inside and on the outside, and it was sealed with seven seals. Then I saw an incredibly powerful angel proclaiming with a great loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seven seals? But no person could be found living or dead in all of creation. No one was worthy to open the scroll and read its contents. So I broke down weeping with intense sorrow because there was found no one worthy to break open the scroll and read its contents. Then one of the elders said to me, stop weeping and look. The mighty lion of Judah's tribe, the root of David, he has conquered. He is the worthy one who can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I looked and I saw a young lamb standing in the middle of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the 24 elders. He appeared to have been slaughtered, but was now alive. He had seven horns and seven eyes. Don't just listen to me. Imagine it. A lamb standing there encircled by the chaos of heaven. And he has seven horns and seven eyes standing. Yet you can see his wounds. This is quite the picture. You can see the wounds on his body. And he has seven horns and seven eyes. Um, the seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to the ends of the earth. I saw the young lamb approach the throne and receive the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat there. And when the 24 elders and the four living creatures saw the lamb had taken the scroll, they fell face down at the feet of the lamb and they worshiped him. Each of them had a harp and golden bowls brimming full of sweet, fragrant incense 
which are the prayers of God's holy lovers. Each of the 24 elders have golden bowls. They collect the prayers of the saints and they lift them up before the one who is worthy as a fragrant offering to him. That's crazy. Is that crazy? The lamb is Jesus. The lamb of God, right? It's fine. We're fine. Okay, now jump over to um, 1 John 1. We're just, we're just laying a foundation of who the Lamb of God is. So, so far, how many, how many descriptions have we heard of, of Jesus? Two. And are they same? Not even close. They're not even close. They're completely different. One is Jesus in his glorified state, and the other is the lamb slain. Huge difference between the two, right? But listen to 1 John. 1 John, we're going to start in 1. We saw him with our very own eyes. Now remember, John walked with Jesus, right? So this is going to be a third description of who he is. We saw him with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him and we heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him. The one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God. This is after he's already had an encounter, okay? He has already encountered Jesus in two different ways. Actually three, because he'd already walked with him by the time he had the, the encounter with heaven. So he has encountered him in three different ways. And I want you to hear his like mind blown description. He says, we saw him. I looked on him and I touched him. He was my friend, right? Our hands actually touched him. The one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God, this life giver was made visible and we saw him. We testify to this truth. The eternal life giver lived face to face with the father and has now dawned upon us. So we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard about this life giver so that we may share and enjoy this life together. For truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus, the anointed one. We are writing these things to you because we want to release to you our fullness of joy. He goes on. This is the life-giving message we heard him share, and it's still ringing in our ears. We now repeat his words to you. God is pure light. You will never find even a trace of darkness in him. If we claim that we share life with him, but we keep walking in the realm of darkness, we are fooling ourselves and not living in his truth. That if we keep living in the pure light that surrounds him, we share unbroken fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from all sin. Can you hear his passion? I walked with him. I knew him. He, he is pulling people into his encounter. He wants everyone else to know Jesus in the three different ways that he has encountered him. He's like, I know him fully as a man, as a lamb, and as a redeemed, glorified God. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. And we, we have, we have full access to the same three in one Jesus. We have access to him. And we settle over and over and over again. We settle. We settle for somebody else's version, somebody else's story, somebody else's tales. We don't ever go in and get our own. Aren't you aching for your own story? Aren't you aching for your own testimony? Revelation chapter 19 verse 10 says that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. The only way you're going to be able to have a full testimony that's actually going to do something in the world is to go in and get your own story. So you can testify about who he is, how you can come in and you can be like, oh my gosh, I saw the Lord. Right? Ezekiel says that. Ezekiel says this, and this is before Jesus. It's even manifested as a human being. And Ezekiel was taken up into the heavenly realms. And he's, I saw the Lord. And he was high and lifted up. And his, the train of his robe filled the temple. Don't you want to be one who goes up and gets your own testimony? Don't you want to be one who carries the story, the essence of Jesus? There's only one way to do it. Let's go to Isaiah. Got to switch Bibles for this. Isaiah 2. I want to read a couple of different spots. Last week, Vince and I did our best at breaking down the city of God. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen and just know we did our best. It's, it's a difficult topic to really nail down because how do you nail down the city of God? How do you nail down Zion that is described in multiple ways in the same way that Jesus is? So that to me tells me that Zion is something to be encountered, to be experienced personally. When there are that many varied stories about something, it's an invitation to ascend into it and experience it for yourself. Yes? Okay, so we're going to read two different spots about, we're going to go back and read about Zion and see what it says. So Isaiah 2, are you there? Did you say no? Okay, Isaiah 2, and we're going to start in verse 2. But in the last days, the mountain of the house of Jehovah will be established on the top of the mountains, and it will be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. How many of the nations? Two? <laughs> all! All of the nations. What? Okay, this is talking about, this is talking about Zion. And it's talking about all of the nations will be drawn to the city of God, to the Zion realm. All of them, not just the holy ones, not just the ones who have dedicated themselves to the Lord. All of them, all of the nations will stream to the mountain 
of God. Isn't that amazing? Anybody else wild? Verse 3, and many peoples will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of Jehovah, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us in his ways. Feel lost and confused? Ever in your life? Do you feel lost and confused? (laughs) Ascend! Go into the hill of the Lord. Go into the city of our God. Into God's house. And allow him to instruct you in his ways. What an invitation. That he may instruct us in his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth instruction. You want to know why the church is so lousy at being the bride? Because the church is settled for earth. (laughs) The church has never responded to the invitation to ascend. We do it as individuals, but we never come back down with the goods and share them. Like John did. John came back down and he wrote an entire book. Actually, he wrote four, five, five books to share about the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who will ascend? Who will go into the house of the Lord to bring back the goods? Will it be you? I mean, if not you, then who? Right? You? Yes, of course you will. We have to be willing to go where it is that we will be instructed. We lean so much on our own understanding and on the understanding of one another that we get stuck. I promise you that if you continue to lean on the understanding of just one another, just on the counsel of those that surround you, they will give you an out. They will give you the out that the fear that is speaking your name is, a t- is tempting you with. Yes? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you only surround yourself with the counsel of those that surround you, they will agree with the fear that is already on your life. We have to ascend if we're going to be brave, if we're going to be courageous and fulfill the calls on our lives. We have to. It's where the instruction of the Lord is. It's where the path of the Lord is handed out. It says, and he will judge between the nations and will decide matters for many people. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, nor will they learn war anymore. House of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of Jehovah. For you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of customs from the east, and they are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they clasp hands with the children of foreigners. What's his point? Come and learn my ways. Do you know this was written? This was written before Jesus, right? Before Jesus was born. It says on there, those who ascend will be taught. They will be instructed. And and they will, their knee-jerk reaction to the instruction of the Lord, to the path 
laid out before them is that they will beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning knives. They'll be transformed from soldiers who are set to go to war to farmers who are set to share. And the very people that memorize these scriptures are the very people who didn't recognize Jesus when he came. He, he came down from the mountain of the Lord with a plowshare, right? And all of Israel was expecting a warrior, someone who would come and overturn the ruling power of their day. And it's not what he did, so they didn't recognize him. It's really important that we ascend, that we go into the house of the Lord so we can see firsthand who he is and what it is that he has in mind for us. Otherwise, we will lean on the understanding of somebody else and get confused, just like the Jewish people did. They rejected Jesus because they leaned upon somebody else's understanding of who he was going to be. Let's jump over to Micah. We're going to verse 4. This is going to sound very familiar to what we just read. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1. But in the last days, the mountain of the house of Jehovah will be established on the top of the mountains, and it will be lifted up above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. And many nations will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of Jehovah and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us in his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth instruction and the word of Jehovah from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and will decide matters for numerous nations from afar. And they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, nor will they learn war anymore. And they will each sit underneath his vine and underneath his fig tree. And no one will disturb them for the mouth of Jehovah for the mouth of Jehovah of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples will walk, each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of Jehovah our God forever and ever. Sound the same? Why would he repeat himself? Why would he repeat himself? Because the Lamb of God has a way of doing things. The Lamb of God has a way of doing things. He has a way of doing business, and he's giving clues. This is what to expect. This is what's going to come out of the city of God. It's clues, and it's an invitation for you and I to ascend and go in and get the blueprint, not just for our lives, but for the kingdom of heaven to infiltrate the earth. Do you know you have a job? You have a job to do. Jesus prayed it. Our Father who's in heaven, holy is your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How on earth are we ever going to know what his kingdom looks like if we never enter into the Father's house? It is of utmost importance that we be those who have a zeal for the Father's house. We have to be those who know what his furnishings look like. We have to not just know what scripture says, but we ascend to go and feel what it means. Or we will never be fully acquainted with the Lamb of God. Now, everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus did cost him. Right? Can we agree to that? Everything that Jesus did cost him. Oh, shoot. I left a Bible downstairs. That's okay. We'll just pull it out of here. Let's go to Genesis really quick. We're going to Genesis 22. Should be a familiar spot for us. We've talked a lot about Abraham lately, and this is just another story about Abraham. Remember, Abraham's old. God gives him a promise of a son, and he gives him the promise that he would be a father of many nations. And his wife, at the age of 90-something, has a baby. They name him Isaac, which means laughter. Somebody say, ha, ha, ha. Thank you. That was apathetic, by the way. You can do better. Um, chapter 22, Genesis 22, 1. Um, actually, you know what? I'm not going to read this whole thing to you. I'm just going to tell you. Okay, so Abraham has Isaac. And Isaac and Abraham are enjoying life as father and son. Now, when Isaac is in his 20s, how old? In his 20s, God comes up with a new plan. He's like, hey, Abraham, in the morning, I'm, I'm going to need you to take Isaac and go up onto Mount Moriah and, and sacrifice him. I know. It's a crazy story. Do what? Abraham waited forever for this kid. And now... And now he wants him to sacrifice him? What? This is insane, right? It's crazy. It's a crazy story. But Abraham trusts God. And not only that, but Abraham somehow <laughs> has, has gotten Isaac to trust God in this matter. And they're, so they're carrying, they're carrying the things up. To, to the mountain, to the place where he is going to be sacrificed and he's going to be an offering for the Lord, right? Abraham follows through on this whole thing. Isaac follows through on this whole thing. This is going to cost Abraham everything. And, and the thing that I want you to realize is that their relationship 
shifted by this point. They're not just father and son. They enjoy each other as companions. They have a friendship by this point. So this is going to cost Abraham everything. It's not just his son. It's his best friend. The promise. Right? And he gets up there. And he ties Isaac down. Yes, 20-something-year-old Isaac. He ties him down. And he lifts up his weapon to kill his son. And God says, stop. Wait. And at that very moment, God provides. But on the way up, Isaac's Isaac starts cluing in on what's going on, and he says, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says to Isaac, son, God always provides a lamb. He has counted the cost on this. He is content with Isaac being the lamb if he needs to be, because he knows who's worthy of it all. But at the very moment that he lifts up his weapon to kill his son, to sacrifice his son, God says, wait. At the moment when the cost hurts the most, when it feels like it can't get any worse than this, Abraham is still going to follow through. Then God stops him. Wait, wait. And I think that there's two things going on here. God is requiring something of Abraham. But at the same time, I believe that this is, it is a foreshadowing, obviously, of, of Jesus, the lamb that would be slain. But I think that it is also a picture for the father who is going to have to go through this himself. And he sees Abraham so willing. And we know that God, he's a God of emotion. He's a father that has emotions. And I can't help but think that in this moment, he's going, would I follow through? Can I, can I do this? We know on Jesus' side that he's like, Father, why have you forsaken me? Where are you at? He was never alone, but he still feels very alone in the middle of the most costly moment. I think God is living through Abraham in this moment going, I don't know if I can do this. Abraham didn't sacrifice Isaac because God provides a lamb. And in the thicket was a ram. 